It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down An American loser the day I was born Hey ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of American Loser. I am your host, stand-up comedian K.P. Burke. Uh, with me as always, behind the ones and twos, is our favorite sound engineer, my buddy, the Big Kahuna. Say hello. What's going on, everybody? Uh, happy to have you back in here, man. As always, my Delph of a father is in the room with us. Lawrence Patrick, how are you? Uh, we got to talk about that Delph thing, but uh, yeah, hey, we're, we're doing all right. We're doing all right. I hear you. Uh, he finally uh, protests it. It only a, took a couple he, episodes. He pretends to protest it. It's one of those things, you know? I missed y'all. It's a, <laughs> I was away last week. I apologize. Well, it's, uh, we got a couple of good ones here. Uh, one new change on the podcast I just want to talk about up front is that uh, we're continuing to get this awesome feedback from people. So we're just going to go ahead. We do a thing called a call to action real quick. This is how you can help us out on the show, guys. If we can get you to subscribe to the podcast or leave a review on iTunes for us, uh, all the downloads, shares, all that stuff really helps us out, man. So if you want the show to continue, if you're having a good time listening to it, we're having an awesome time making it. We just need you guys to help us out so we can grow the show a little bit more here as we go. Uh, the other thing is that you didn't. Uh, you probably noticed we have a theme song now. Did you hear that, Dad? Well, yeah, yeah. We're, we're big time. We do have a theme song. <laughs> I found it while I was searching for uh, the hashtag American Loser because I'm putting out new episodes every Tuesday. We're calling it Tuesday Lose Day. And when I was looking for American Loser, I found a thing called uh, a song called American Loser by a guy named Robert Rolf Fetterson. And I just fell in love with the song. I really like the guy's music. And when I told him the show idea, he's given us full permission to use that as our official theme song for the show. Oh, you got the artist's permission, too. Absolutely. So Absolutely. You have to show respect for that stuff, man. So uh, he was a really cool guy. Uh, plug his music if you can, guys. It's, he's available on iTunes and uh, all sorts of other stuff. There's a YouTube page, Robert Rolf Fetterson, and the song is called American Loser. Now, that being said... I think we're going to go ahead. Uh, last week's episode we already put out, if you listen to that one, uh, was about James Wilkinson. You do not need to know anything else from that episode to understand this one, so it's not like a chronological thing. But these guys all have tie-ins, right? Well, yeah, we were researching they're, this they're, one. They're tied in all over the place here. There's multiple, multiple tie-ins. Every time we turn the page, uh, basically, we're finding another tie-in. So we're cranking out this one kind of in conjunction. Like I said, you don't need to see the Wilkinson episode in order to have this one make sense here. Well, but, it's hard to see, Kevin. Uh, to see a, a, a podcast, <laughs> you're correct. But uh, very excited to go ahead and kick this one off here. It's one of the most famous names in American history, but people don't really know the entire story. Ladies and gentlemen, this week's American loser, Mr. Benedict Arnold. Big Ben. Now, Kahuna, just off the top of your head, what do you know about Benedict Arnold? Uh, I... Off the top of my head, I don't know much, but I do know that the term, obviously, Benedict Arnold comes from him, but I don't know the story behind it, necessarily. Ah, so, uh, essentially, his name is now synonymous with being a traitor. So, if uh, if Judas, and we'll talk about this later on, in the biblical sense, Judas betrays Jesus. So, being called a Judas is one of the worst things you can be. The American version of that is to call you a Benedict Arnold. 
Okay. So. Well, that's good, Kahuna, though. I mean, the last time we asked you something like that, you said jack and ship. So you're really coming up in the world here. <laughs> your, your background knowledge of our topics. It's, uh, and it's only going to get weirder on this one, too. Uh, because oh, you, you know you're bad when your name is synonymous with treason. And uh, the other time people think of Benedict is when uh, you're hungover and you're looking for breakfast food at a diner. But... Uh, <laughs> Born as, as an eggs Benedict. Eggs oh, Benedict. God. <laughs> that was created as a hangover cure. I found out in the research for this episode because it, it has protein, fat, and bacon, all three food groups combined. There you go. into one hangover curing breakfast. Wow! But uh, he was born January fourteenth. Our good friend Benedict Arnold here, seventeen forty one in Connecticut. He was born a British subject. Okay, as most of the founding fathers were. Uh, Arnold was uh, one of six kids. Only him and his sister Hannah survived to adulthood. I mean, that's got to fuck with you a little bit. But uh, they were a wealthy family, but Arnold's father began boozing heavily, especially after the loss of, I mean, think about those odds. I mean, you have six kids, four of them die. They don't make it to adulthood. That's got to fuck with you on some, a, a level I hope to never understand. But the, uh, the father was a, he started boozing real heavy, turned himself into a spectacle at times. He was really the, the town drunk and then some. Uh, he was the Otis of uh, Mayberry. Uh, that's a, <laughs> he was, uh, or uh, for our uh, millennial audience, that he was the uh, the the Leahy of the Trailer Park Boys, the Jim Leahy. Oh, so, uh, but he began pissing away the family fortune, and uh, because of that, Benedict was no longer able to attend Yale, as had been assumed due to insufficient funds. All right, so now Arnold can't get himself into uh, one of the top schools in the entire world. Uh, but his mother's family was still well thought of. They had a good uh, reputation. And Arnold was very, very close with uh, his mother. And uh, the mother's family got him an apprenticeship in an apothecary. Dad, what is an apothecary? Uh, we're talking drugs, man. That's where the money really is. Old school pharmacist stuff. All That's right? it. Mix them up. But, uh, mortar, mortar and pestle and all that good stuff. Which is so cool to watch people do. I mean, you realize how far we've come with medicine, but how some like a lot of it is still very much the same. But... Uh, <laughs> So he's very close with his mother. Uh, her death was extremely difficult for him. That was really uh, something that changed uh, Arnold and how he viewed the world. But uh, in 1757, because as a kid he had seen uh, the British troops you know, kind of uh, doing marches and tactics and stuff, like a presentation of arms, if you will, and was wanted to join right then and there. And his mother kind of talked him out of it, like, cool your jets. Uh, we have talked about it a little bit on the show. I'm a Navy veteran, but do you remember how quick I, I almost joined the National Guard right out of high school? Yeah, you were uh, you were gung ho. It's a, I, you know, it is what it is, man. I was uh, I was very happy with how my career wound up. I'll put it that way. But uh, I really, you can be so impressed by them when you see the military and what they're capable of and some of those precision, you know, uh, moves that they're able to make. So obviously that worked on him because it also worked on Wilkinson. Wilkinson got caught up in the the, the valor and the the glory, if you will, but. Uh, so go ahead. He decides not to join, but in 1757, he does finally join a local militia during the French and Indian Wars. And this is kind of funny because a guy, Benedict Arnold, who had this amazing military career as we're going to go into, started off in the most inauspicious way possible. He served for 13 days. Wow. Made yeah. a career out of it, huh? Now, when I joined the military, uh, I had to join for a two-year commitment and then a six-year guaranteed reserve commitment. So the shortest period of time you could enlist for was two years. Somehow or other, Benedict Arnold got on for 13 days. <laughs> well, it's What? Me. Yep. Well, uh, what happened was that they were marching out towards Fort William Henry. So he joined up. He's like, I'm finally in the fight, man. I'm going to go see the world. This is my sense of adventure. Goes out there. On the way out to Fort William Henry, they find out the fort has fallen. 
and the French allied Native American tribes are butchering everyone as they come through the woods. And the crew decides, like, ah, I mean, yeah. what are we really going to do out there? <laughs> <laughs> so brought himself back into civilization. So he's back over in Connecticut where he, uh, compl- he finished up his apprenticeship. He becomes a very successful pharmacist. Okay. Uh, in that, he's actually able to pay off the family debts. And he even buys back the family estate, the Arnold family estate, which had been sold due to his father's drinking. But his father, still a mess, never recovers, never kicks the habit. Uh, you can find him like drunk, passed out in the street somewhere, probably pissing himself. It's he is oh, so he far was gone. that type of drunk. Oh yeah, yeah it was not was, a good drunk. Yeah, and back then too, I don't think there were really good drunks because uh, you didn't have. Um, I mean, I mean, these guys were hitting. It, you'd had to hit it so hard because uh, whiskey hadn't really come into. I mean, whiskey was around, but it wasn't the the boom product yet. So these are like you got to be pounding ciders all day. Ciders and, and rum. Ciders and rum. Ugh. But oh god. Finally, it kills the guy. All right, he has the the rot gut, and his father passes away. Um, it, he's finally dead from the boots. It's almost a burden off of Benedict Arnold's back. Okay, like we said, truly close with his mother. You can tell there was some issues with his father, but um, he was very successful now because he has all this money coming in as a pharmacist that he's able to start working as a trader. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> uh, I don't mean like a trader is in the treasonous moves that will come down the road here. I mean he's actually engaging in trade in other parts, you know, parts of the world and everything like that. But um, he, yep, he's even. Uh, it's very lucrative for him. But uh, he's got a ship that he actually sails out to the West Indies and he's getting involved in all that stuff out there too. Now, uh, Cahoon, I think you'll appreciate this. This is where Arnold's stubborn streak starts to show up. Okay. He's out in Honduras. What you trying to say? Oh, uh, boy, uh, this is going to be the recurring theme. <laughs> this will be our recurring theme for this one. So every oh, time, God. every time I mention a stubborn streak, you'll see just how goddamn stubborn this dude was. <laughs> um, so he's out in Honduras, and he gets into a duel with a British sea captain for calling him a mannerless damn Yankee. Arnold shot the sea captain in the chest during the duel, and then the captain, as he's like holding his wound in his chest. Uh, Arnold walks up to him and he goes, uh, if you don't apologize, next time I'm going to aim. <laughs> that was the, the warning shot was to the <laughs> chest. It, 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 this is, yeah, this is Benedict Arnold sitting there. I know what you're thinking. Yeah. Did he fire all six shots? <laughs> you ever seen Monty Python and the, the Holy Grail? Always. The, the Black Knight. Keep chopping off his legs. It's just yeah, a right. flesh wound. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Well, this solidifies Arnold's reputation as a bad son of a bitch. All right, so he's oh, not a guy man. to be messed with. Uh, now the captain does apologize after getting shot in the chest. He goes, "Hey, I'm sorry. You were right." Uh, oh, he got shot. Okay. Yeah, because he yeah. shot the guy in the chest. And uh, I heard a little bit of a backstory on that too. That the ship's captain invited Arnold to dinner, and he kind of got all involved with other shit and just forgot about it. Just And that was like a, a high insult to the ship's captain. Dumb question, but did he live? And Arnold he Arnold did. actually apologized for missing the uh, the engagement, the, the dinner party, but uh, the ship's captain wasn't having any of it, and that's when he was he was called out. And then, well, okay, well, now to uh, to save my honor or whatever, they challenged uh, to the duel. <laughs> I like the they warning would. shot to the chest, though. That's a good one. Uh, I mean, it's that's not a guy you want to be on the other end staring that down from. But uh, as far as we know, the British sea captain did live because, like he said, he apologized to Arnold. And, you know, it's dueling's an interesting thing. And dueling is also going to take up uh, part of this episode and then another huge chunk of the episode we're going to do later today that will come out a week after. Uh, so fascinating stuff to talk about on that. But the big key factor here is that Benedict Arnold 
is uh, he's still a British subject at this time. But all of a sudden, the trade business that he has starts getting interrupted by uh, things enacted by the King of England. So the British government is now uh, putting the what is known as the Sugar and the Stamp Acts into effect. And these start affecting the bottom line. First of all, the colonists are pissed about this in general because it's, it's a whole new thing with taxes that they – I mean, these are – the embers that start to burn that fuel the raging fire that becomes the American wow, Revolution. Kev. So, uh, I'm good with words. Damn, that, was, that, was so, there, like, that was so poetic. Fans to fly. Hold on, not even a clap. You get like, <laughs> you get the back alley snaps. A little dead poet society action. <laughs> um, what I'm loving though is that now I have to throw to my father uh, because, Dad, can you break down for us what the stamp and sugar acts really were that it would piss off the colonists to the point of where it ended in revolution? Yeah, well, we've got to remember that um, at this time, the colonies, are they're British. They're not Americans. They're British. Now, they are kind of considered by uh, the Brits back home in England as like second-class citizens. But trade was always controlled um, by, by parliament. Um, the trade was controlled by parliament. Uh, you mentioned before that uh, Benny Arnold uh, signed up with the uh, militia. Well, that was uh, a fighting force that all the different colonies had their own militia, the, the local militia. Um, but that whole – you called it the French and Indian War. Well, here in uh, – on North America, it was called the French and Indian War. But it was really a, a world war. Um, that was the Seven Years' War between – Great Britain and France, and there was a bunch of others that were drawn into that whole thing with various uh, treaties and alliances. And it was almost else. bigger than just American. Oh yeah, it was absolutely it. bigger than just. I, I think that's because we're narcissists. Right. As Americans, we're like, oh, there's other shit going on. Right, that's right, weird. Right. Uh, and the French and we Indian. We just want our freedoms. Yeah, the Seven Years' War was a seven-year-long war, uh, but the Seven Years' War over in Europe in this country or in North America was considered the French and Indian War because you still have French or French control out of what we now call Canada. Um, and the French had a lot of Indian alliances and, uh, you know, the, the colonists have been fighting the French and the Indians for like some like 80 years. So it was more than just the Seven Years' War for them. They've been going at it since... You know, they first landed in North America uh, between uh, between the colonists and uh, the French and the, the Indians that are aligned with the French. Well, anyhow, the Seven Years' War was very costly. I mean, the war is now over, um, and Great Britain is in financial need, and they've got to come up with ways of um, bringing their economy back. North America, or the colonies, are also undergoing uh, some hard times financially. And Parliament now decides that they're going to, first came the, the Sugar Act, that um, different goods that came into the colonies were going to be taxed. But this was the first tax that was really just to raise money. It was not to control trade, it was to raise money. And then that was followed by the Stamp Act. And it really put a hurting on the American colonies as far as trade is concerned because, again, trade is already controlled, but now they're, they're um, putting an additional tax on a lot of stuff. The, the Stamp Act, anything that was dealing with paper, uh, licenses, newspapers, playing cards, uh, all kinds of stuff was going to be taxed. And 
Um, it also restricted what the colonies were now allowed to trade for. Timber was huge in North America um, because of the forests and the natural resources. But now Parliament is deciding that the colonies have to send whatever timber they might want to trade to Great Britain first. They weren't allowed to trade with anybody else. Um, it really put a hurting on uh, the colony's economy. So you're telling me that maybe this is going to upset them to the point of where some secret societies are going to start talking <laughs> yeah, about the, what's going to be their move? That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, um, the whole uh, pirating thing comes into big play as well. Um, smuggle. They all carried on as if the, uh, the Stamp and Sugar Act hadn't even taken place, mm-hmm. that a lot of people just openly ignored it, which led to more troops being right. brought in and right. really enforce that because now you're disrespecting the king. But the colonists feel disrespected because they're being taxed for wars they're not directly involved right. in. Right, right. So, and, and they're already taxed for the, the war efforts that are taking place in the colonies. Well, the Sugar Act was really kind of ignored and, and, and they had a difficult time in enforcing it. So it's kind of like making a law that nobody is going to really respect or follow because there's nobody really enforcing it. And again, there was a lot of uh, um, back dealings kind of a thing. I say pirate, smuggler would be a, a better term. And, you know, a lot of stuff was smuggled in anyhow and just to avoid the, avoid the taxes. Well, now, because of those two things that you broke down, our boy Benedict Arnold joins a group known as the Sons of Liberty. Yeah, the Sons of Liberty were – they were big time against this whole um, Sugar and Stamp Act to the point where – uh, in Boston, where the Sons of Liberty kind of got their their kickstart, um, they uh, are now parading around Boston with the effigy of the guy that's in charge of selling you the stamps. In other words, you'd have to go to this guy to buy the stamps to be all street legal with whatever it is you're trying to trade with. Well, they're they're walking around Boston with this guy's effigy, a, a dummy, and they behead the. They behead the dummy, uh, and then they go to his house and completely destroy his house. And it wasn't just in Boston that this kind of stuff was going on. Other uh, seaport cities are refusing the ships that are carrying the stamps to be sold. Um, They're refusing them entry into the ports. And uh, a lot of the uh, stamp commissioners, if you will, uh, they say, you know, I really don't think I want this government job. Uh, these people are kicking down my front door. Classic straight white males, right? <laughs> Up to no good, uh, as always. Yeah, but oh, he, my God. So now he joins this secret society in the Sons of Liberty. This is uh, Now, he's getting involved with this not immediately out of a sense of patriotism, but out of a sense of this is a, a financial strain on his overseas expeditions. Uh but, you know, there's also got time. People forget that this took a long time to actually come into play. I mean, there's a long time of these secret backdoor meetings and this, the Tea Party and the massacre. I mean, all these things lead up eventually to the shot heard around the world at Lexington and Concord. But it is a slow burn. Um, in the meantime, in his personal life, in 1767, uh, Benedict Arnold marries Margaret Mansfield. He was business partners uh, with her father. Okay, so now his father-in-law and him are uh, on good terms, right? They ha- are their business is going overseas and everything like that, and he uh, marries the daughter, which is always a good move too, if you can, you know. But uh, they have a son named Benedict. But the weird side note on this one is that uh, the domineering personality of Arnold's sister Hannah kind of runs the Arnold house. 
So even though Margaret is the, the correct, from a good family, married Benedict Arnold, is the, you know, the, the legitimate wife, and, and then is the mother of uh, the child, for some reason, Hannah's still running the show over at the yeah, house. Well, again, Big personality. And Hannah was, Hannah and Ben were the two children that survived out of the six, right? Oh, yeah. She was, wasn't getting squeezed out of Ben's right, uh, you know, right. good old Ar- Benedict right. Arnold's life. But uh, now uh, Arnold was overseas now when he hears about uh, the Boston Massacre. And the Boston Massacre, I mean, it pissed a lot of people off. Now, there's a whole fascinating thing, too, in terms of the people that wanted to uh, just go into open warfare at that time right there. And then the beautiful measured response by John Adams to try them, to prove to the English that, hey, we're capable of our own home rule. Because if they went into full-on riot mode, the entire British army was coming over here and everything was going to get put down and every one of those secret meetings was going to be made public. And you were going to start having, uh, I mean, absolute chaos, public executions more than likely. But – Arnold is overseas, man, and he gets pissed. The exact quote that he has when he hears about the Boston Massacre for the first time, good God, are the Americans all asleep that they are tamely giving up their civil liberties? Or are they all turned philosophers that they don't take immediate vengeance on such miscreants? Pretty much Arnold saying, I came here to kick ass and chew bubble gum. And I'm all out of bubble gum. And I'm all out of bubble gum. (laughs) (laughs) So you done made that boy mad. You done hell's fucked coming. up. Yeah, so. he's 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 fired up for sure. Um, you about to get absolutely. knocked the fuck out. <laughs> you know, the whole Boston Massacre thing was uh, a media frenzy as well. I mean, depending on uh, the viewpoint, but um, Adams's uh, role in that too—that he's now going to be the guy that's the uh, the defense the attorney, defense attorney to, to the uh, British soldiers that fired the shots that killed uh, Boston citizenry. Odd side note on that, one of the pieces of evidence in that trial that is later used to – because the, the British soldiers get off on this one. They don't yes. really you – know, um, but one of the pieces of evidence is an artist-rendered painting provided by Paul Revere. Yeah, of so, one of the Sons of Liberty. Yes, a Son of Liberty. Right. So <laughs> they're, they're, they're pumping that. I mean they're certainly trying to uh, – fire people up with that well it's almost like that scene in braveheart when uh, they have the gathering of the clans that it's all quiet and romantic the first hour of that movie and then he goes oh you're ready for a war boys <laughs> didn't get dressed up for nothing well here's the war now uh, <laughs> benedict arnold because he has a strong business background he's an educated man comes from a good family he is elected as a captain in the connecticut militia in 1775 okay he fights alongside ethan allen and the green mountain boys which, if you know anything about Ethan Allen and the Green Mountain Boys, they were they were rough dudes from uh, you know up in uh, the Vermont area, okay. And what they did is that they were true frontiersmen. These were guys that didn't want kind of you know big. They weren't city slicker friendly people. No, they were backwoodsmen that uh, were fighting for survival, and they've been dealing with the the French and Indian attacks uh, for years. So. And they're stoked to finally have a, a proper fight on their hands now right. too. That uh, now you can you know, have a, an enemy declared. What's weird though is that. Ethan Allen, revolutionary time frame, is like a total badass. Nowadays, we think of discount furniture. <laughs> I don't know how Ethan Allen wind up selling, you know, Barca loungers, but somehow or other it happened. Um, now, they take Fort Ticonderoga under Benedict Arnold's plan. Arnold has proven to have a, like, just outstanding strategy. He's got a great mind for war. Um, and he realizes that Ticonderoga is not very well defended, and they could easily take it. And once you have this fort, which, by the way, we've been to my all-time favorite family vacation was Fort Ticonderoga. <laughs> it really was. Um, but uh, they decide they're going to take Ticonderoga, and it works. 
All right. Uh, but Allen's men, you know, kind of the disciplined soldierly uh, Benedict Arnold versus the frontiersman Ethan Allen boys, right? He, they love to drink and they love to loot. So as soon as they take the fort over from the British troops, they raid the liquor locker and it just turns into a frat party yeah, inside right. of a fort. Right. <laughs> right. So uh, that's much to Arnold's dismay. Now, Arnold is also kind of a weird thing, too, is that we start noticing that uh, he has a penchant for getting uh, the numbers wrong on some stuff. That supplies start disappearing or maybe a proper Financial inventory numbers. wasn't. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes it looks like he might be cooking his own books. But at the same time, you could also chalk it up to, well, the, the Ethan Allen's crew, they just, they're here to party. Right. So, you know. <laughs> they drank a, the profits rather than uh, exactly. sell the profits. <laughs> didn't there used to be a window here? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but um, Oh, no, it's fine. You're good. It, Ticonderoga, though, was huge because uh, you got to remember back in Boston now, um, we're trying to form an army. Um, they appoint George Washington as the head of that army, but the really the army is non-existent. It's a whole bunch of militias that from all over the colonies, and they're trying to surround Boston because they've got the the uh, British pinned down in Boston. But with just an army with no artillery, that's like that's not going to happen. You're not going to force or have any kind of a siege to Boston. So that's why Ticonderoga, which has got a bunch of cannon and military supplies and everything else that the colonists are sorely lacking, becomes this uh, huge uh, military prize. Well, uh, not to be outdone, too, uh, Arnold then makes what is known as a bold raid on Fort St. Jean, okay? where he catches the British completely by surprise over there. In doing this, he now takes control of several British naval vessels that are on Lake Champlain, which by default, Benedict Arnold just delivered to the Continental Army all of Lake Champlain. Right. So you've now got, like, it's pretty much, you're building this army out of nothing. You got some guys that are great organizers, like we talked about in earlier episodes, Horatio Gates, good organizer. Uh, we've talked a little bit about Washington and his background. We've talked about Wilkinson, who never fought a battle. Right. right? Uh, and now you got Benedict Arnold, who is almost no military experience before, and 13 days' worth of military experience in the French and Indian War. And this dude has now delivered to you Fort Ticonderoga and has absolutely stunned the British and has delivered all of Lake Champlain and now owns and is in control of British naval power, which is they're the greatest navy power in the world. Right. We now own a couple of their boats. Right. Uh, on, a, on Lake Champlain is also uh, very strategic because uh, Canada now is no longer a French-controlled. Uh, it's under British control. And the thought was is that if uh, you know, the British could then send military forces down out of Canada, down Lake Champlain, and actually divide the, uh, the colonies in half, and that would have been, you know, game over time. So to... To, for the colonists to hold uh, Champlain, that that was uh, that was a huge uh, setback to the to the British military strategy of how to deal with the colonists. And Arnold knows that he's whooping ass on this too. You'd think he'd be in line for a promotion, right? Yeah. He starts exerting some of his force around the you know Fort uh, Saint Jean and then Ticonderoga. I mean. He considers himself the big swinging dick around here. You go get me a coffee. <laughs> Not too far off, man. Uh, so now, until the arrival of Colonel Benjamin Hinman, Hinman's now put in charge over Arnold. And Arnold's like, I'm not in charge of my own fort. I just got you guys out of Lake. Like, right. So he starts feeling slighted, and his stubborn streak starts to show up again, Cahoon. Right? So Arnold, uh, he feels insulted that he's been replaced. And his stubborn streak, that we have, stubborn streak rather, leads him to resign rather than work for Colonel Hinman. 
So he's like, he's like, all right, what, you're not going to put me in charge. Fine, I'm gone. I'm leaving. Yeah, I'm out of here. So, screw you guys. I'm, I'm going, going home. home. <laughs> so oh he goes my ahead. God. But now while he's at Ticonderoga, he begins suffering from the gout, which is going to plague him his entire life. Uh, gout, very uncomfortable. It's a. I did have one coworker one time who, uh, when he got the gout. Uh, uh, his doctor told him, he said, uh, hey, you're going to have to give up steak and beer or you're going to lose your foot. And he goes, uh, let's get me fitted for a peg now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now commitment. you just get this fort. You feel disrespected by Washington. So you quit rather than you know work with somebody else. Uh, you resign. You find out you have the gout. And then on your way home, you find out your wife's dead. So his wife died while he was up at Ticonderoga. And uh, he's just getting, I mean, that's a bad week. All right. That's a bad week. But luckily for Arnold, he's actually very well liked by Washington. So he's got a bunch of enemies in his own ranks, and he's got a ton of political enemies because a lot of people don't like his uh, I'm going to take the ball and go home kind of a thing. Uh, But Washington likes him, understands the value that he has. Yeah, I mean, a guy just delivered him uh, um, all kinds of cannon and military supplies and and, and prevented the British from coming down and, you know, hitting them in the – in the in the back door end of uh, the colonies, and uh, you know, he may be a bit of an asshole, but he yeah, still did right. a bunch of cool shit. Right, right. He's an asshole, but he's our asshole. Well, another <laughs> great plan he had was he had discussed with Washington the uh, what he believed was the ability to invade Quebec, that they were going to launch this uh, Quebec invasion, that you could take uh, Montreal and Quebec were marchable locations back then. So the theory was, and this was Arnold's original plan, he had resigned. So uh, now he gets brought back on. He realizes they're actually taking one of his plans and they're putting it into motion. Uh, Dad, what was the name of the general that was going to lead the expedition and then he passed away and uh, command fell to Montgomery? Uh, I don't think he passed away, but he certainly got sick. It was uh, Schuyler that uh, the Continental Congress decides that, yeah, maybe we ought to attack um, um, Montreal and Quebec or Canada, right? The, the Canadian invasion, if you will. Um, it was a lot of different things going on there. Again, you got a lot of French-oriented people that um, are now were turned over to the British. So the thought was, well, maybe there's there's friendlies up there in Canada as well that uh, would be happy to fight the British alongside us. Um, so they sent this guy, uh, I think it was Phil Schuyler, and his second-in-command is a guy by the name of Montgomery. General Richard Montgomery. Richard Montgomery, yeah. So they, they send him, and they send him up, and they were going to uh, hit, uh, I believe, Montreal first and then come over to uh, Quebec to hit um, Quebec. Meanwhile, uh, I believe Ben Arnold goes to Washington and say, hey, you know, maybe we ought to uh, hit a two-pronged attack that uh, I'll take the east and Montgomery and Schuyler can take the, the west and uh, we'll, uh, you know, both, both meet at Quebec and kick the shit out of them And, and this is his first runner-up move, too. He feels slighted that he's not leading the main uh, raid right. onto. Once you know, again. So a stubborn streak is there, but what he does is he goes ahead and gets himself uh, his own force that he's going to lead now over there. Uh, and they're going to go through Maine into Quebec City. Now, Maine's tough to navigate now. Could you yeah. imagine back in the 1770s? Yeah. You go up to Maine in Aroostook County or whatever it is. It's, <laughs> there's nothing there but trees. It's, uh, now, Arnold plans to go through Maine. He has this, uh, this whole – he's leading the second force. He's in command of this one over here. This becomes known as the Arnold Expedition. 
Okay. And he uses a map that later proves to be kind of incomplete. It was made by a guy with British sympathies, as you said. Yeah, that, that you know, it's virtually uncharted territory uh, for the most part. And they're thinking, that, hey, it's maybe only, what, 180 miles. And it turns out to be like twice that. And the only maps they have to really go on are maps that were created by this British engineer years before. And then they get what what they thought was the latest and greatest maps. And uh, it turns out that uh, this guy was actually deliberately putting missing stuff or... Um, was this guy on the expedition with them? No, no. Or this was just like maps that they yeah. owned? Yeah, it was a map. Yeah. It was a good, uh, good question. Okay. Um, so this is, they were maps that they were actually uh, purchased from this guy, and he deliberately uh, leads them astray. Well, how bad astray do they go? Here's the numbers. Of Arnold's original force of 1,100 men, 500 are lost either to death or desertion due to the harsh weather and poor intelligence behind the planning of the expedition. So, and this is Arnold's plan. Yeah. So, uh, if you're keeping score at home, that is essentially you've cut your forces in half. Okay. Um, it's terrible. Uh, but Benedict Arnold is able to sneak his men across the water, avoiding two British ships, which is kind of another move of brilliance. So, even though a lot's going wrong for him, Arnold proves to be the right guy in the wrong situation. So, is he getting sacked a lot every game? Yes, but he's also making some downfield completions in process. Right, Gets you into field goal range. That's yeah. right. Um, yeah, and that whole that whole expedition through Maine was like a nightmare. Uh, like you said, 500 or 600 guys die or desert. They're running out of food. The boats that they had built to take them, you know, a good part of that way are, are leaking or destroyed or flipped, and supplies are ruined. So guys are just starving to death. Uh, and there's accounts that um, some of them were even chewing on uh, candles and. Uh, uh, leather just to get something out of it. You know, they were really in a bad, bad way. Now, shoe just, leather, I believe, is considered a part of the Paleolithic diet. So <laughs> there is that. I don't know how many carbs are in shoe leather, but um, yeah, tasty nothing, candles too. You want to talk about a bad time of year to decide to do this? If you ever had to get lost in the woods, you would want to do it in the summer, yeah. right? Uh, they decide to make this move and they get lost in the woods. Essentially. Uh, from September to November is when they finally are able to reach Quebec by going through Maine. But upon arrival... Yeah, winter starts in Maine, I think, August 1st, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, pretty much. Like when you go back to school, they start having snow days up there. Um, but upon arrival, when he finally does get to Quebec, he realizes now his force is too small to attack. So they have to wait until Montgomery comes up from Montreal and they meet up in early December. So now he has to camp out and just kind of wait things out. But he's trying to collect his intelligence if he can. Uh, we're going to move on now to what is the attack on Quebec itself. Quebec at the time, uh, it's going to be a two-pronged attack by Arnold coming in at the lower end of the city, and Montgomery's going to lead the main force once they all meet back up. Uh, Quebec is under the control of Governor General Guy Carleton, and on December 31st, 1775, uh, New Year's Rockin' Eve, okay, uh, during a blizzard, they literally, during a blizzard, uh, they go ahead and they decide to make their attack. Now, like most last-minute New Year's plans, total disaster. Okay, <laughs> total mess on this one here. Uh, during people, uh, famous people that are involved in the attack too, that have been covered on either future or previous episodes. Uh, in this attack, uh, Mr. James Wilkinson of an earlier episode is involved in uh, the march on this attack. As is what would go on to be the uh, third vice president of the United States, Aaron Burr, is marching in under the uh, the 
under the guise, uh, the guidance, I should say, of General Richard Montgomery. Uh, Montgomery is killed, and his men never even reach the walls. So his force that's attacking the city, they never get anywhere near. This is right. a complete disaster. Daniel Morgan, who is American badass in terms of uh, who's really, you know, the, he, I, I'll put it to you this way. He is, uh, he is the stone-cold Steve Austin of that crew out there, okay? Uh, he gets into the city, right? Uh, but he's fighting very bravely for as long as they can. But finally, they realize they have to, you know, there's no point here. They're completely captured. They're cut off from everything. And they are surrendered. So now you've just lost Stone Cold Steve Austin. And your general, Richard Montgomery, is dead. Uh, Benedict Arnold is wounded in the leg during this battle, but stays involved, which earns a lot of the respect of his men. It's the Kurt Schilling bloody sock game, essentially. <laughs> oh, God. All right? Jesus. But now with Montgomery dead, they're trying to bring the forces back. Morgan's captured inside the city. Arnold is in charge, finds out that he's been promoted to brigadier general, and promptly puts Quebec under siege. The siege doesn't really do much, but Arnold's shown this like prone for stall tactics, right? Like I remember when I was a kid, if I'd be in a, uh, like, specifically in my fourth grade class, if uh, Mrs. Simpson was the teacher, when she would ask me, uh, Kevin, what is uh, this times this? I'd be like, oh, me? You mean me? I mean, I'm, uh, should I answer this one? I mean, do you want to, uh, uh, did you call on me? I don't know what to do. And my stall tactic would be doing that while I'm singing a song I remembered in my head to try to tell me that four times four was 16. So You were definitely singing Schoolhouse Rock, weren't you? Uh, it, it got us about, we had multiplication rap, too. That was the other one. <laughs> no, you didn't. Oh, yeah, we, we did, it. man. Oh, my God. Anything we could do to help the boy. Uh, we never have a, worked. We have a signed uh, Schoolhouse Rock. I know it's completely unrelated, but we have a signed Schoolhouse Rock record in my house from the original artist. Ooh. That's how much my dad loved that <laughs> shit growing up. Oh, my hey, God. Hey, one, one of the things, too, Kev, with this whole Quebec thing, I mean, when... Arnold is first proposing this expedition into Quebec. Um, the American army, the, col the colonists, are still around Boston trying to kick the, the British out. They just had the Battle of Bunker Hill or Breed's Hill, um, and basically the colonists kicked the shit out of the British with that, and they probably would have won that battle had they not run out of gunpowder. Now you got all these army, the, the American army, if you, if you want to call them the American army or the colonists, sitting around Boston laying siege to Boston and these guys are getting bored and then Arnold says well who wants to go into Quebec and kick the shit out of some British up there and then spring break everybody <laughs> volunteers for this and then when they finally get up to to, uh, to Quebec and they, they're fighting the battle I mean uh, after starving to death, coming coming through Maine and everything else, they really suffered some heavy-duty hardship, and now they're back into battle again. One of the reasons why they launched this battle uh, on December the 31st, because a lot of these guys were militiamen, and their uh, term was going to be up in the beginning of January. Oh, you got to so use them like, while you got them. So yeah. while, while we still got these guys on the team. So um, like in, uh, what would we call that? I guess we would say in 2008, when the Milwaukee Brewers knew that they weren't going to be able to retain the services of one CC Sabathia, he pitched like a <laughs> hundred something innings after the All-Star break for them. So I get that move there. Now, uh, what they did is that he put this, uh, Quebec's now put under siege by Arnold. It doesn't do anything, right? There's no decisive victory. But it is a great stall tactic, and they're able to work out. Daniel Morgan will eventually be uh, released in a prisoner exchange, which is important because he goes on to play integral parts in the later revolution. Big time. But uh, during this time, a feud that he's had, Arnold, has had a feud with a guy named Moses Hazen. And it just continues to intensify that Hazen won't follow certain orders of his because he wants to – in 
during the siege, Arnold's mindset is, well, we can take anything we want from Quebec then. Like he's almost doing like a total war idea. And he starts, uh, again, this idea of misappropriating funds or maybe the books and the numbers don't quite add up uh, is starting to show up there. So Hazen disobeys an order from Arnold and Arnold's stubbornness will not let this go anywhere. I mean, he is so embroiled in this feud with Moses Hazen that he's actually caught by surprise when the British troops arrive and uh, Arnold is uh, Arnold's now forced to retreat. So uh, this is when he loses Montreal because Arnold was in charge of Montreal. Now he is, like I said, so in this petty feud where he can't stop talking shit about Moses Hazen, uh, he gets kicked out. But when they're leaving Quebec, he pretty much burns almost all of Quebec on the way out. Literally, Whatever he can destroy. Exactly. And the rumor is that he waited, literally waited until the Redcoats were within musket range before shooting his own horse and making his getaway via riverboat. So he's literally watching the vanguard advance and he just goes, all right, they're here. He probably could have been shot at this point too. Takes his pistol out, drops the horse, and then like Denzel Washington and Man on Fire just walks away while the car explodes. But uh, <laughs> he's not to be outdone. He's not going to let this campaign be a true failure. Arnold then builds a small flotilla of boats in order to fight the British, what would become the Battle of Valcour Island. It is a relatively easy British win, but the battle buys critical time for the Continentals. So as a stall tactic, again, you've now taken uh, General Guy Carleton, who just kicked the shit out of you in Quebec and defended his city. You've now uh, had such a stall tactic with him that battle season is over. Right. In the dead of winter, nobody's doing anything, right. especially up in Canada. At that time of the year, um, winter was the... It's like negative like three degrees outside. Yeah. We're not moving. We'll see you in spring. And Arnold saved some time, man. So this stall tactic literally saves the Continental Army that, as you said, we're still building this Continental Army. Right. And they're all over the place. We don't really know. There's some vacuums at leadership. You're figuring out that who's the good organizers versus who's a battlefield guy. Arnold essentially thinks in his head that he's just saved the entire war effort by the stall tactic. Yeah, he, he prevents the British from coming down out of Canada and, as, as I say, encircling uh, he does the that? colonists. He, yeah, by that, okay. by that Battle of Valcour Island, uh, that thwarts the, uh, the British from going any further south uh, until next, you know, they try again next spring kind of a thing. So he loses okay. the battle but buys the time. So Okay, because if they had won that battle, they could have advanced more. Exactly. Okay, okay. Right, right. Would have put you in a bad hurt um, further south. Now, okay. uh, his old pal Moses Hazen and him still can't seem to get along. And there's a guy named John Brown now that's echoing. These, uh, these sentiments, if you will. Not the Civil War, John Brown. But exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're arguing that's a later over, episode. <laughs> uh, for sure. Um, they're arguing over decisions made about uh, a lot of the supplies. They're accusing Arnold of questionable ethics. This goes all the way back to Ticonderoga. So these guys just never got along from day one. And they're always, they're always you know, if you repeat a lie enough times, it becomes a truth. Or if you just repeat a rumor, people start accepting it as you know a factual thing. But uh, because he's stubborn as hell, old Benny Arnold can't let go of his issues with Hazen. He's been critical of his tactics and everything. Uh, he orders Hazen arrested for insubordination stemming back from Quebec, right? But Hazen and Brown are smearing Arnold. They now order him arrested for misappropriating supplies and funds. So it's, a, it's I'm not arrested, you're arrested. Yeah. It's kind of the thing here. <laughs> na, na, but, na, 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 na. Oh, yeah, it, it's like little kids. Um, <laughs> But this feud leads to Arnold's bad reputation, right? He's already got a little bit of a shitty reputation because he resigned promptly after handing over Ticonderoga because he, he felt slighted, uh, which is going to be something that follows him this entire life. Uh, but General Horatio Gates intervenes and has Arnold's arrest canceled, citing the need for Arnold on the battlefield. So Gates, 
not a battlefield guy, a great organizer like we talked about in the Wilkinson episode. But you need the soldier, soldier, Benedict Arnold, because he's out. He's willing to get his hands dirty. So you need him. Brilliant mind. They know what the deal is. So they go ahead and they, uh, they put him back in. Uh, Arnold, the arrest is canceled. But Arnold is again wounded in the same leg at the Battle of Ridgefield, solidifying that you may not like him. He has plenty of detractors, but this is a tough son of a bitch. And he's a solid tactician, right? He is. That's a guy the British are paying attention to, you know? Um, now, he's promoted to Major General. So he's like, oh, yeah, we'll give you your promotion to Major General. But he's not given superiority over some of the other officers that he used to have superiority over. So hmm. you're a Major General, but nobody answers to you. Right. That's pretty much okay. So he takes that as a like a total insult. Like he'd rather not have the promotion at all. Uh, the guys that have done far less than what he has already accomplished. Yeah, are. we're going to let Eli Manning start the game to keep his streak intact. But then we're going to pull him in order to get a look at the backups. Well, that's, you know, that, so he's insulted by it. But... Uh, doesn't like what's going on over there. He's what essentially what it boils down to is the more you read about Arnold, you realize he is a amazing boss, but a terrible employee. If that makes any sense. No, that does. Yeah, because yeah. if he can run the show, he's going to do a great job for you. But you put anybody ahead of him, and he's going to undermine them every chance he gets. In fact, he's promoted a major general, and then tries to resign again. <laughs> They're like, "Hey, you're promoted." He goes, "I quit, you son." <laughs> yeah, you didn't give me a high enough position. Uh, but uh, Washington literally just refuses him. Like it's almost like uh, it, it, it's very interesting because Washington and his relationship is almost like, "No, Ben, you're not allowed." To, all right, come on, you know I need you here, Ben. All right, everything's going to be just fine. No, <laughs> but uh, Arnold does get a little bit upset and decides to come back because he realizes that Fort Ticonderoga, where he had made this amazing move earlier in the war. Uh, is now falling back into British hands. So he's a little bit pissed about that one. But you want to know how smart of a dude Benedict Arnold was? At the siege of a place called Fort Stanwix, he's arriving with a, a small number of forces here, and he outsmarts the British general Barry St. Leisure, okay? Uh, outsmarts him because as his force is moving on, he sends an Indian messenger to the British, exaggerating the sizes of Benedict Arnold's own force. So the British aren't going to leave. They're like, okay, well, this is how many people. But he made sure that the Indian messenger told the British allied Native Americans how big the force was going to be. And so the Native Americans abandoned and scattered through the woods because they thought they were getting the shit kicked out of them. (laughs) So now Arnold shows up with this really small force that could have been beaten by them. But when half your team runs off the field and you're sitting there left with it, now you got stuck dealing with it, man. So he actually wins the force, uh, win uh, Fort Stanwyck, just pretty much through bullshit. (laughs) Right. If you can't uh, dazzle them with your brilliance, baffle them with your bullshit. Axel Foley would be proud. That's a <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, now, General Gates, is. you'd think he'd be proud because he's like, he's like, listen, I stopped the arrest of this guy. We all know Arnold's great. It's going to be good. To, you know, and he's having all the success. But the two of them just cannot get along. Gates, like we said, is the organizer. And then in the field, you want Benedict Arnold. But the two of them are literally screaming at each other during the battles of Saratoga uh, in between the first and second battle. Gates has Arnold removed from command and literally throws him into his own quarters, right? It's like, like go, go hide in your tent, all right? Go hide in your tent. Get out of here. Get it. But because Go Arnold to your w- corner. You're in a timeout. Oh, they said Arnold was fired. Yeah, pretty much. Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. Put him in timeout. Excellent. Um, <laughs> so they put him in timeout even though uh, he's the fiery one on the field. And he's like, if we get aggressive here, we can crush this line. Right. And then, But uh, Gates is such a pragmatist that he's, right. he's almost a jittery, like, I, I, for lack of a better term, pussy. He's, so, uh, yeah. 
uh, he doesn't want to do the wrong move, and then Benedict is like, "Well, here, this is the way. Let's let's be the battering ram, man." Gates so. isn't the uh, paralysis by analysis kind of a guy. Where <laughs> Benny is like, uh, "Follow me, boys. We're going to kick some shit. We're going to kick some ass." So now Benedict Arnold disobeys the direct order of General Horatio Gates, who is the adjut- adjutant general of the Continental Army at this time. Clearly, his superior. Uh, disobeys and leads an attack on the British forces at the Battle of Saratoga. He is again wounded in combat in the same leg. Yeah. All right. That's but a three for. That's a three for in the same leg. I mean, it's insane. Uh, and he stays on the battlefield with his men and his actions in the field decisively win that battle. And 10 days later, General Burgoyne surrenders to Gates. Okay. So Ben Arnold uh, goes against his own boss, goes out there, kicks the shit out of the British, right? Is wounded in the process. I mean, th- this is a hero. This is, the men are rallying behind him. Everybody knows Benedict Arnold is the reason you won the Battle of Saratoga. A, so, thrice, a, th- a three-time wounded um, battlefield uh, oh, general. Yeah. yeah, and he is uh, – that's the dude. This is – if you want to talk about valor and the glory everybody's going for in the war, this guy's got it. Except Gates decides he's going to take credit for the uh, surrender from Burgoyne. That uh, really – oh, it's Gates' mastery that wins him. Yeah, well, it's Gates' uh – he was really the guy in charge, so he's taking he's taking charge of all the credit too. Mm-hmm. And uh, the that's person, not a good boss, though. No, like, he's, <laughs> no. like you still got to acknowledge, like, hey, listen, I may have led this, but this plan was all Benedict's over there. Yeah, no, he takes not, total credit. He's not a team player. That's okay. That's kind of, but that's fucked. That's so fucked up that you can start to see the foundation of like. Oh, this is why why Benedict has the name now. Right? Oh, if you wanted, if like we said, the the embers that turn into the fire for the revolution. If you wanted to that follow what poetic gonna, statement, yeah, yeah. if you wanted to follow what's going to piss off Benedict Arnold, you have a uh, trash can fire, right? Mm-hmm. And then you dump a gallon of gasoline on it, <laughs> yeah, right. and you are just fueling. I mean, he is uh, now. What's insane here too is that in uh, in 1777, now post uh, battle over here. Arnold is restored to seniority, right? So now he finally is back where he was, where he feels right. But in his mind, he can't accept it. This is how stubborn he is. You ever try to give somebody a compliment and they say no? All right? Yeah. Well, yeah. It's pretty much what happened over here. So they restore his seniority, but he goes, well, this is just because I got wounded. This is just this is a pity. This is pity. They're, only, they're trying to be nice to me because I got hurt again. So he won't accept that. And he, uh, he actually has his leg in order to avoid having it uh, because of his gout and the other wounds and everything. He wants to avoid having it amputated. He has it crudely set, and now he has to walk with a cane, and he has one leg that's two inches shorter than the others. <laughs> so uh, uh, It's not that funny, but I was not expecting that. Well, when I say uh, <laughs> when I say stubborn, we talk about stubborn in his dealings with people, and they're like, hey, we're going to have to take that leg. I goes, to hell you are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, just watching this him waddle just, back and clunk. Dude. Oh, my God, Clunk. he's so stubborn, he decides to take just two inches off of his leg. Oh, my yeah. God. It would be hilarious if that two inches, because uh, if you go for the two inches on the one leg, it will affect your overall height. I would like to imagine if people were shorter back then, like we believe, that there were certain carnival rides that Benedict Arnold was not able to get on <laughs> due to He can't go to Hershey <laughs> Park anymore with the barn none. <laughs> you are too short to ride this ride. You are uh, too short to get in the wave pool. <laughs> now he uh, he shows up at Valley Forge, right? He arrives. Uh, it was uh, Washington's brutal winter camp. Okay, Arnold arrives there in May. So now they're out of the winter. It's starting to get nice out again. In May of 1778, he shows up. Gates and Wilkinson have assured that Gates gets all the credit for the winning of the Battle of Saratoga. But when Benedict Arnold arrives in camp, the men who fought at Saratoga with him give him this hero's welcome. I mean, it's like 
it, they're going nuts. It's like when uh, right. imagine winning the Super Bowl. We finally got a guy that's that's with us and not just some pencil pusher. That uh, yeah, if, if this was football, this would essentially be uh, Bill Parcells getting lifted up on uh, his players' shoulders and getting the Gatorade bath. Right. Okay, they, they're like, my, this is our guy. Right. right? Meanwhile, while Washington and everybody else is in Valley Forge, the British are now in Philadelphia. Yes. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons why they went to Valley Forge is because the Continental Congress said, you know, you guys got to kind of keep these British guys in check because that's why they were in, in Pennsylvania and not someplace else that uh, they were trying to protect uh, Congress. To show you how quickly things happen, uh, Arnold arrives in May of 1778 uh, at Valley Forge. Um, he does receive that hero's welcome. He also takes place in the first ever recorded Oath of Allegiance, which uh, will later prove to be quite ironic. Um, right. Yeah, but, by, by May, though, I mean, the, they've already gone through the winter at Valley Forge, and now this you know spring is arriving, and in those times now, that spring is when uh, the fighting is going to start up again. And, you know, they've had... Uh, Von Steuben and a bunch of other people that are trying to take these rag, this ragtag army and starting to bring it into a, a more complete fighting force. And now Ben Arnold shows up again, and he was already, you know, pronounced the hero. So things are starting to look up after surviving a, a horrendous winter. Not for nothing. You're, uh, it, to piggyback on that, Saratoga is also the battle that when won by Arnold— uh, the French decided that it was time to actually increase the backing Absolutely. they were giving to the, the American cause. Right. So before this, they were just kind of like, you know, kind of uh, playing a backseat to see how it was going to all pan out. But you got a shot now to really crush your enemy and the British by supporting this uprising. Yeah, in the, the British and the French have never gotten along. And now, you know, the Seven Years' War or the French and Indian War is over. But, you know, they're, they're still uh, not best buds by any stretch of the imagination. And the French... Although they were trying to give aid to the colonists, they didn't want to come right outright and then have another war declared between Britain and France. But now, with finally, with the Battle of Saratoga, the French are saying, "Yeah, these colonists—they might have a shot at this whole thing." You know, but, um, I always say it: Week Seventeen, <laughs> the New York Giants almost defeat the undefeated New England Patriots, and they said, "If we could just get a rematch," yeah, <laughs> and we did. Uh, not for nothing, like I was saying, May 1778 is when he's at Valley Forge. June of 1778, the British now withdraw from their stronghold in Philadelphia. Washington makes what is considered by his own biographers. This is if, – if, if America was a religion, its god is General George Washington, right? Father Washington. His own biographers say we have no idea why he did this. This is the dumbest thing he ever did. <laughs> He then takes Philadelphia and puts Benedict Arnold in charge of Philadelphia. Yeah, well, the British left Philadelphia because they were afraid that the French fleet, the Fr France is now with us. So now finally the colonists have a, a navy, the French navy. And um, Philadelphia was the largest city in the, in the colonies at the time. And that was like the, the city. It wasn't New York. It wasn't Boston. It was Philadelphia. The British now leave Philadelphia. Um, and go back into New York in fear of being surrounded or captured um, by bottling them up in Philadelphia with a French fleet. Well, the, uh, now the British army leaves, but Philly still has a shitload of loyalists. Oh, yeah. Right? It was ver a very uh, 
product. So, yeah. There's literally people. Uh, if you're a businessman too, because uh, people always forget this sometimes that uh, if you took if you break it down into thirds, the population uh, in the colonies. A uh, third of them are going to be loyalists, where they want to agree with um, the uh, stay with the with the yeah, king of England, the and then the other third is going to sit there and, and be kind of more. In, that, that, that's your revolutionaries, and the other third is like, well, I don't really give a shit. Just leave me alone. You. So if you're a businessman, what you're going to do is the businessman is going to have the bottom dollar affected over here. So there's literally people that are waving goodbye to their business partners, the British, and then turning around with the same hand, extending a wave yeah. to uh, go ahead and bring uh, you know the new colonial uh, interest in. Yeah. To that, I mean, the population in 17, you know, I think by modern day standards, we're thinking that, uh, um, you know, the United States, America is fighting the British here and we've got this big, powerful nation and everything else. Your point is well taken, Kev, that one third of the colonists are really the guys that are out doing the fighting or, or against this whole British rule. In 1776, we had two and a half million people was the estimate. In the colonies, two and a half million people. That's that's like a, a pittance. That's such a small number, and really, that's, really that's that's an estimate. Yeah, two and a half million people, and that's just an estimate because the first census really wasn't until 1790. Today, in 2017, we were just just shy of 325 million. So, I mean, you know, we have kind of a warped perspective of what was going on in 1776. Philadelphia is the largest city in the colonies. There's 40,000 people in Philadelphia, and that's the biggest city that we have. We know what that means. That means, go ahead. Philly's going to have all the good parties. <laughs> that's right. So Philly's got all the good parties, and it's because of that right. that Benedict Arnold is, a, first of all, he, he was a highfalutin kind of right. guy to begin with. Today's standards, now, if you went to the Philadelphia Stadium, uh, what's it called? Lincoln uh, Financial. Lincoln Financial. That holds like 68,000 or so? Yeah, we found that out. All right, 68,000 people. So if you had everybody in the entire city of Philadelphia in 1776, right, they couldn't fill today's stadium. They'd be 28,000 people shy. <laughs> so <laughs> New York had 25,000. Boston had 15,000. You could probably find 15,000 batteries on the field at Lincoln Financial <laughs> Field. <laughs> but uh, Philly is uh, – uh, it's, it's got all the uh, high society people. You're absolutely right here. Arnold is living like a king. He attends all the fancy parties. Uh, now, Philly's strong population of loyalists, they're almost open in showing support for the crown. One of the most prominent families in all of Philadelphia – they literally had all these major dealings with the British still ongoing, and then they would also have the occasional ones if it worked out advantageous to support the colonials. Was a family known as the Shippens? Okay, uh, the Shippens are one of the they're, they're probably the biggest family in Philly. They're, I'd they're, say. Well, yeah, one, one of the most influential, anyhow. So uh, now, not for nothing, the Shippens also have uh, a smoking hot daughter. I mean, she, by all accounts, she is uh, referred to as vivacious, even in scholarly accounts, which means smoke show. <laughs> That's right. So Peggy is a real hottie, man. Um, and they go ahead and Peggy had actually earlier in the year was being courted by British General John Andre, who is the head of British espionage. But then once they leave, now it's, uh, oh, well, let's, uh, I, I guess I better you know, find another suitor. And uh, so Peggy sitting there, hot chick, all about Philly. She's down there. Loyalist tendencies, was dating a British general. Well, that's a great person for Benedict Arnold to marry on April 8th of 1779. <laughs> so. Yeah, Ben is, uh, ben is quite smitten with, uh, with Miss Peggy. Um, and by all accounts, she's a hottie, no doubt. And that, she's you also know that, the, too. Yeah, she's the youngest daughter of uh, old man Shippen, who um, 
his own. Had very strong uh, leanings towards the loyalist faction. So he's not he's not one of the uh, revolutionaries by any stretch of the imagination. So, so now you got a so, hot chick. Right. A hot chick is, who's well-connected, all right, uh, a wealthy woman too. And then she's going to sink her claws into an increasingly disillusioned Benedict Arnold. So there's a very much a Lady Macbeth and she kind just, of thing going And she on. just left, uh, you know, sparking with uh, with John Andre, who was the British uh, head of the uh, British espionage. She's having uh, tea and crumpets with him in the morning, and then friggin' yeah, by that afternoon, she's uh, marrying the hero of the American Revolution. Yeah. <laughs> so she had uh, she uh, had to be a thing to behold, man. But. Uh, Arnold's moves to treason now are still thoroughly debated to this day. They believe that he was disillusioned in the cause, still felt disrespected by not having uh, more positions of prominence, being passed over for promotions and such. Uh, his wounds and his gout in his leg really made him a, a kind of an angry dude. And he had a, a lot of money questions. But the simplest answer that all of his own biographers say is that Ben just married the wrong woman. All right. There's people out. We have uh, at some point everyone's gone to a wedding. Where you're just like, this is the worst fucking mistake this yeah. dude has ever. We're like, I'm gonna. Be, I remember telling one of my friends jokingly. I said, uh, uh, when I told him I couldn't make his wedding, he goes, uh, "Cause you're really not gonna come to my wedding." I was like, "Yeah, I'll come to the next one." <laughs> oh god. <laughs> so, but uh, oh man, oh it was brutal, man. But uh, Peggy started egging on Arnold's treason. I mean, she was like relentless with it. It's, yeah. I mean, and, uh, she she comes from money, and now Ben comes around. He's sparking her, uh, and obviously he wants to keep her um, in the same lifestyle of which she's grown accustomed living in Daddy's house. So he starts doing uh, some pretty shady deals and is actually called on it, too, as far as his accumulating his own wealth. And, you know, the people are going to say, well, that's really to support uh, Peggy to make sure that she's taken care of. And uh, by the way, she's now acting as the go-between to start feeling out information right. between her ex-boyfriend, General John Andre, and her current husband, Benedict Arnold. This is why you it's never major, trust... That's all right. Oh, major. I'm major. sorry. Yeah. It's, uh, bottom line is you can't trust a girl that still hangs out with her ex. All right? You just can't. <laughs> all right? Arnold didn't know it then, oh, and the man. country's different for that today. But... Uh, Arnold actually owed a lot of money to British banks, too. That was another thing that uh, played in And uh, the British had put out a 20,000-pound reward for the capture of West Point. And that kind of caught Benedict's eye a little bit. So Washington is one of the few people that still liked him, but Arnold felt wronged by the revolution and decided it was time to make his move. So one of the go-betweens for establishing a line of communication between uh, John Andre and Benedict Arnold, the two men in Peggy Shippen's life as she was playing them against each other, uh, was actually the last colonial governor of New Jersey. You want your Jersey tie in here, Cahoons? I got you. The last <laughs> colonial governor of New Jersey was William Franklin. I uh, sorry, William Franklin, who was a loyalist and the son of Benjamin Franklin. Oh, wow. Ben Franklin's son is the royal governor of New Jersey. Did not support the American cause, was later exiled because of it, and Benjamin Franklin and him just never saw eye to eye. No, they, they never got along. So... That's our how, how does time. that happen? Like, what influence did that kid have? Well, I don't know. You ever see? Uh, you ever see some? I've, there's some weird father son. Really, I'm very lucky on uh, this one. I mean, eventually, if this podcast takes off, you and I'll have some sort of a beef, like Orange County Choppers, and you'll throw a chair at my head. <laughs> but 
The point is on this one. Now, Andre uh, worked for Henry Clinton, okay, uh, who was uh, one of the higher-ups there uh, in the British Army. Now, as more proof, we all know it's an old adage. It continues to prove itself true. You can't trust the Clintons. Um, Clinton approved <laughs> Ouch. the aggressive courting of Arnold as a spy. So Clinton's approved this as Andre. You got your teeth in on him, man. You tell Peggy to do whatever yeah, she needs do, to do. Do what you You deliver do. this gem in Benedict Arnold to us as a spy. So... Andre begins his correspondence with Arnold via coded letters, lots of invisible ink. It's often sent through secret agents or literally right underneath the noses of people by the wives of officers at lady social clubs. <laughs> so, I mean, you won't suspect it, but geez. Here's how fast this shit happens, man. It's, it's really mind-blowing. June of 1779, uh, Peggy and uh, Arnold had been married in April. So if they're married in April... Peggy got Arnold to betray his country and cause, uh, literally betray the entire American Revolution cause within four months of being married. You know when a guy gets married and he goes, nothing's going to change, guys. It's gonna, you're still going to be able to come over come on, on Sunday yeah. for the game. Come on, guys. She's not that bad. Yeah, she's been. <laughs> it's a, uh, so when you're able, if a woman is able to do this to you, and I think my father knows where I'm going on this. If a woman is able to do this to you where you betray your entire cause and everything you've ever stood for in your life within four months, that can only mean one thing, right, Kahuna? <laughs> Squirter. Kegler's going to step away. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, that being said... Uh, in June of 1779, uh, he asks for a price in order to start spying for the British government of 10,000 pounds. It is the same amount that the Continental Congress has just awarded to Charles Lee, who Arnold thought he was always better and more valuable than. So literally, the Continental Congress gives this amount of money, and he goes, well, uh, to the British, well, you guys give me that much money right now, because that, that's they, they think this guy's worth that. I'll prove to you how much. He's so stubborn and obsessed with uh, his own social standing with that. But uh, now Clinton, in order to take West Point, needs to – he can crush the Continentals if he can take West Point because you can remove this big chain going over the water up there that's blocking ship's entry. All right. Okay? Jer Jersey shout out to Ringwood, New Jersey. Absolutely. Because the chain was, was manufactured in, in Ringwood. Uh, that I did not know. Yeah. Well, uh, now Philly is starting to get dangerous for loyalists around this time. That uh, you know that the the spirit of '76, if you will, is swelling. In uh, you know, it would go on to have the the ers be a Philly team too. So they do have some patriotism down there. Um, but uh, Philly's getting dangerous for them, and Arnold is now catching flack for his loyalist wife. I mean, if you've ever tried wearing a Giants jersey in Philly, you would know they don't really take yeah, too that's, well to that uh, shit. That's not well well endeared to you. You want to motivate this guy to be a spy, too? At this time, Benedict Arnold, that feud with Hazen and Brown, is now brought about his own court-martial. So he's being looked into now. Arnold is court-martialed, stemming from his feud with Brown and Hazen. During the inquiries, it is found that his Quebec invasion numbers completely don't add up. Misappropriated funds again. It's been dogging him his entire career. So... Uh, Arnold is scolded in one letter by Washington saying, I can't believe it was so bad that you did, and then congratulated on the birth of his son in another. So it's almost – that's his relationship with the guy. Like Washington has some trust and some faith in the guy. And why wouldn't you? He was uh, – uh, literally, he was a uh, – I mean, he was a perfect game kind of pitcher in almost everything he was doing. And uh, But now you're sitting there, you got to deal with him a little bit. They don't know that he's betrayed the cause yet. 
Arnold is forced to resign his authority in Philadelphia due to the court-martial. But now he starts making his moves and uh, maybe possibly yeah, taking command of West Point. Where am I going to go next? So, and this moves fast, too. Uh, for those of you who are still listening, this is one of our longer episodes, and I apologize for that, but we got some story here. Uh, Arnold informs the British that he's now a likely candidate for the command of West Point. And they begin to conspire on what will be Arnold's bloodless surrender to the British once he's in power of West Point. Yeah, again, West Point, the British really, really wanted West Point because right now you got a chain going across the Hudson River just below West Point, and that's going to prevent the British uh, Navy from sailing up the Hudson River. If you can control the Hudson River, uh, that's a game over. The Revolutionary War is over. That's why Arnold was such the big hero at Saratoga because it prevented the British coming from the north, coming down the Hudson River, the British already control New York City, so they got both. If they can control both ends of the Hudson, at splitting the colonies virtually in half, and it's game over. It is a critical chess piece for them, and the idea that they can get it without shedding blood or firing a single shot is—they yeah. are all in on this. They think they Buy got, it. yeah, they got their man inside right now. Now, during a tour of the compound before he's taken command, Arnold sends a highly detailed report of the manpower, supplies, and everything else to the British. So. They pretty much know everything. Here's how you know the guy's about to make his move. He sells his home in America and starts transferring all of his assets over to banks in London. So he's slowly starting to get ready to make his big move here. Arnold has actually become so irate during his negotiations with the British. You want to talk about his stubborn streak and just his disposition in general? With Peggy whispering in his ear, too. Oh, yeah. He would be writing letters asking for a response and screaming about not getting a response before the original letter had uh, actually arrived. Jesus. So that's how so he's that went. much of a prick. Okay. He is his own crazy ex-girlfriend. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, God. <laughs> so it says red. It says red on the text. There's a check mark. I can see you saw this. Why aren't you responding? Uh, I'm driving. Can you imagine him, like, today, how much th- that would get him in trouble? Oh, oh I mean, my God. <laughs> it's, uh, well, he would burn for this. It, uh, it, here's the thing. I, I almost wonder, because it's kind of a timeless story on this one. But uh, on August 3rd, 1780, he now commands West Point. On August 25th, his wife Peggy delivers Arnold's terms for the surrender of the fort to Andre. The price? 20,000 pounds and protection and a commission in the British Army. Okay? That money's going to take care of all of his debt that he has over there. He's going to betray the cause. He's going to go become a general in the British Army. Uh, and then his loyalist wife will finally be happy. Uh, and now Arnold is – he also just to double down on being a son of a bitch. He starts selling the base's supplies for his own profit and ensures that no reinforcements or repairs to the fort arrive. Okay? He plans to withdraw the chain, which will then allow the British to sail in freely. Now, uh, Arnold and Andre meet face-to-face. For what, is that the first time they meet face-to-face? I'm pretty uh, sure it is. I think it might be, yeah. They meet at a place known as the Joshua Het Smith House in order to engage, uh, exchange their final plans. Andre is captured wearing plain clothes, which is a big deal back then because he's a spy. You're plain clothes spy. Well, he's in enemy territory, and he's dressed as a, as a plain, exactly. plain clothes, so yeah. Right. So now you are a spy. So with the espionage thing, there's different punishments for that. He is arrested in Tarrytown carrying papers, incriminating Arnold and giving away the entire plan for the bloodless surrender of West Point. Yeah, Andre sailed up on a British ship up the Hudson River just below the chain and then was rowed ashore to meet with uh, Arnold. But then uh, American uh, forces were firing on that ship, so the ship had to uh, weigh anchor and, and 
slip out of cannon range kind of a thing, and that screwed up Andre. So he had to go because, over land. So now he's stranded on, on the shore without being able to row back to the British ship and, and sail back to New York with the plans and, and everything else. So now he's got to make way back to, uh, I guess it was White Plains, uh, which is held by the British at that time. So he's got he's to take the land route rather than the river route. Well, uh, now Andre convinces his captors, once he is captured in Tarrytown, carrying all this incriminating evidence, he convinces them to send him back to Arnold at West Point, that that's the right move. Yeah, well, the officer, the, the people that, that captured Andre, you know, we got this guy in civilian clothes, and he's got these uh, suspicious plans or you know, papers in, hidden in his boot. And, uh, you know, what are we going to do with this? So they send that information that they captured this guy, this, mis- this mystery man, they send it back up to West Point. Well, who's, who is that report going to be delivered to? None other than Ben Arnold. Well, uh, now members of Washington's Culper Ring, it was called, which is his ring of spies. Right. They figure this out. So while word does get back to Benedict Arnold that uh, Andre has been captured with the plans ring, they also, the Culper Ring alerts Washington. Now... Arnold receives word of Andre's capture and his own proven, you know, complicitness in the, uh, the you know, treason. Goddamn treason. Uh, so he knows he's guilty, and he finds this out as he's sitting in West Point waiting to have breakfast with Washington. Yeah. <laughs> Washington is on the way to West Point to have breakfast with Benedict Arnold when uh, all of this goes down. So it was just moments, really, hours, moments before Washington was due to arrive that Ben Arnold finds out that Andre was captured and, uh, the, you know, the game is up that uh, he's got to do the skedaddle. If you time. ever had an oh shit moment in your life, <laughs> yeah. they, they all pale in comparison here. Yeah. Arnold rushes out, escapes via riverboat. He is rowed down to the HMS Vulture, which then takes him into the safe passage of New York City. Yeah, the Vulture is a uh, British ship. Mm-hmm. Now, on board the ship, he writes one letter to Washington asking for Peggy's safe passage back. Okay? Washington allows it. Says, okay. Uh, Washington remains what is people describe as eerily calm about Arnold's betrayal. He investigates it, and uh, he does ask for Arnold to be exchanged, that he would give Andre back to the British in exchange for Benedict Arnold, but it was completely denied. So... Washington orders Andre to be hung as a spy. Washington felt that Andre, this is an actual, a quote on him in terms of how he, he would have preferred to have his hands on Arnold, but he felt Andre was just more unfortunate than criminal. Mm. So you're just the guy that got, hold, you know, you got caught hanging you got in the bag. You got holding the bag, yep. So now he has been hung up in Tapan, and that site is commemorated to this day by a monument saying that he was hung there. Tapan, New York. Mm-hmm. So... Now, uh, he's gone ahead. Arnold has made the jump to the dark side, okay? He is now a redcoat. He is uh, uh, given the brigadier generalship in the British military. You were the chosen one. You were supposed to destroy the Sith, not join it. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the football reference for this one I'm going to throw in is that uh, if, if seeing him at Saratoga, the hero's welcome he got at Saratoga, when Lawrence Taylor and the other guys are carrying Bill Parcells off the field at the Super Bowl. Now... Benedict Arnold, Bill Parcells, is wearing a Cowboys jersey. Um, When he coached the Cowboys, I used to see him on the sidelines, and a little part of me would just get sad. But uh, Arnold is made a brigadier general. He does not receive the full amount for his deal for West Point because he never delivered West Point. All right? But uh, Arnold did prove to be effective for the British in some small capacities. He actually captured Richmond for the British and led several raids on Virginia. 
where he was actually doing a total war thing. He was burning places, Virginia being Washington's home as well. So uh, after several vicious burnings, Arnold is actually forced to retreat from Virginia, and he's being pursued by General Marquis de Lafayette, uh, one of the most badass French dudes in American history. Young Uh, guy, too. And he's got – I think he's 20 at the time, and he is feared on the battlefield. People don't want to mess with him. Uh, he is almost the, the rightful successor in terms of Benedict Arnold for being the – that this is an ass kicker. And uh, Lafayette is now pursuing him, and Lafayette has been given personal orders from Washington that he's allowed to hang Benedict Arnold immediately. Immediately. Captured. You capture him, hang him right then and there. Oh, Don't wait man. for a trial that's just – off that ambassador. It, it's almost like, yeah, it's a dirty cop kind of a thing almost. It's like, we're not going to let a jury screw this up. <laughs> but uh, the, do it. Yeah. The, uh, the arrival of General Cornwallis and his southern army spells the end of Arnold's prominence in the northern campaign. Uh, Cornwallis actually ignores. Remember, we always said Arnold had a great eye for detail, a great military mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cornwallis ignores Arnold's idea and suggestion to build a permanent base away from the sea. This later backfires on Cornwallis ignoring Arnold because he decides to make his base down at Yorktown, so he gets completely cut off by the French Navy coming in. Right. When they find, so literally, if he'd listened to Arnold, he wouldn't have had to surrender a couple of months later. But uh, very weird thing with all that stuff. Uh, in an act of total villainy, though, Arnold actually burned the town of New London, Connecticut to the ground. His home state. And slaughtered American troops after they had surrendered, some of whom possibly could have served under him in some capacity. Wait, this is all in the span of four months. I remember you mentioned uh, a while ago. Oh, that's how quick his wife got to him on this one. So, like, this is within, like, a four to six month time span, no, It's almost. a little more than that. It's a was, little more? Yeah, because okay. he marries her in Philadelphia, and right. the West Point thing happens. But now he's given a, a commission in the British Army, and okay. he was down in the Southern Campaign, and now he's back up in, in uh, Connecticut, and he's— right. And you're in a post-Yorktown world, too. Yorktown is the, the likely end of uh, the American Revolution in a lot of people's estimations. Um, now, I know we're going long here, so I'm going to wrap this one up for the listeners at home. But uh, the, uh, now, what's interesting is he is doing all this in his home, Connecticut. Like, like, literally 15 minutes away from where he grew up as a boy, and he's burning the shit out of everything. I mean, he's a real, he's an asshole. And, and murdering people, people, guys that have already surrendered, and he's, he's offing them. Well, now the British don't care much for Benedict Arnold either. So, which <laughs> is very, he's now a man without a country. A buddy of mine told me this one time when his uh, he was dating a girl who was in a relationship. She started hooking up with him, right? While she was, and she goes, "I'm going to break up with him soon." And then she finally broke up with him like a month after he was already, you know, uh, hitting that. I'll put it that way. And uh, one of the guys on the ship told me he goes, uh, "He goes, ah, oh, man, I would stay away from that if I was you, dude." And uh, you know, we're telling our buddy this is not a good idea for you, man. And the guy had the the best quote. He goes. Remember, if she does it for you, she can do it to you. So why would you trust Benedict Arnold? He's already betrayed his own cause, right? So the British don't really like him. In fact, Mr. Edmund Burke, all right, one of the founders of conservative thinking over in, uh, in England, one of, the, one of their great minds, if you will, politically, openly spoke about not wanting Benedict Arnold to hold any position of value in the British army because he thought that Arnold lacked integrity and that his own moves went against British values. So he's got nothing going on. Now the war is over, all right? The colony's won. You backed the wrong side. Arnold returns to his business ventures. He even owned and outfitted a privateer ship that helped supply the French Revolution. So if you want to talk about a man without a country, it is he, yeah, he, he was out shit. for his own top dollar. The only person that he cares about is himself. Now in order to wrap this ridiculous tale up, man, 
1801, with declining health with, from worsening gout and the lingering effects of his wounds, Arnold suffers four days of delirium, during which he's rumored to have said, let me die in the uniform I fought my battles in. May God forgive me for ever putting on another. So that's a rumor. We can't, there's no there's solid no evidence. Confirmation. Yeah, right. But I bet you he did have some major regrets on that one because Arnold is now, he, he dies in England, but he's buried without military honors by the British. They do not give him a military burial. Uh, how is he remembered in America? This is the crazy part here. The gravestones of him and his family were getting destroyed and disparaged for years after all of this, too. Uh, they constantly had to move them around and stuff. Now, there is a monument at the Saratoga Battlefield. I thought this was very cool. The monument at the Saratoga Battlefield is of a lone boot, and it represents Arnold, and it is an inscribed, okay, just a statue of a boot, in memory of the most brilliant soldier of the Continental Army, who was desperately wounded on the spot, the sally port of Burgoyne's Great Western Redoubt, 7th of October, 1777, winning for his countrymen the decisive battle of the American Revolution and for himself the rank of Major General. All that is written, everything that happened, and he's remembered by a boot. <laughs> they don't put his name. You have to find out it's for him. They're not allowed to use his name. There's no glory for it. It's just yeah, you're no remembered on the by boot. a boot. A boot. So it is essentially the golden toilet of monuments. Um, Damn. Now, of all the generals who served in the Revolution, uh, they all have plaques at West Point. Arnold's name is not on his plaque. There's just a plaque that reads Major General, born 1740. That is the Roger Maris asterisk at the end of the home. That is the Pete Rose not in the Hall of Fame thing. I mean, it is – they just – you can't give this guy credit, but you can't tell the story without him, man. I think if I had to make my move, I would say that the best way to remember Benedict Arnold – tell me if I'm wrong here, Cahoons. Okay. If you have a rest area named the Benedict Arnold rest area on the turnpike – there's no food, there's no bathrooms, there's no gas. You just pull off and you see nothing. Because every person who ever went through there would be, man, fuck Benedict Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to sum this guy up, man, nobody had a better quote than old Ben Franklin. Franklin says, Judas sold only one man, Arnold, three million. And ladies and gentlemen, that is Benedict Arnold, American loser. This is a long one here, our yeah. longest episode by far. I'm sorry about that one. Uh, we're coming in at an hour and 21 minutes here. Uh, if you guys like the podcast, we love doing it. Please subscribe. Leave us a review on iTunes. Share. Tell other people about the show. Support the shared universe. Ming, Zaps, and Kahuna. They've all been so good to us. This show does not happen without them. I want to say, Kahuna, thank you for your time here today, man. No problem. It's Absolutely. always interesting. Dad, thanks for everything. I do want to say, I do think that this dude is an absolute loser. Oh, yeah. But, like, there were some things along the way that set the... The, the fire for him to become a loser. So I'm I'm not giving him any credit for what he did. I'm saying though, people just be aware your actions can have consequences, you know what I mean? <laughs> like you you created this asshole almost in a, in an Very odd true. way. So like yeah, he was an asshole and he isn't a loser. Well, he is a loser. But do you know how many schools would be named after this guy? How many colleges would be oh, named after Benedict Arnold? Streets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> He would have a bridge, maybe even an airport. We don't know because he decided to back the wrong team, right? <laughs> it's about loyalty, guys. Right. 
And he was only loyal to himself, and that was it. But uh, as always, man, I just want to say thank you again to everybody to shared universe. I want to say thank you to my father for getting me into history. That trip to Fort Ticonderoga coming around full circle that's, today. That's, <laughs> be careful what you what you start. It's like money well spent. Finally, that's a, <laughs> years later, I've made it back. I got uh, got some awesome tour dates coming up and everything like that for stand up comedy. Please come out and see me. You can hit me up at uh, Twitter at, at KP Burke Sucks, Instagram at KP Burke Sucks, and KP Burke over on Facebook. I would love to have you guys come out to a show. We'll talk about the podcast. Thank you very much, guys. An American loser the day I was born. An American loser the day I was born. An American loser the day I was born.